Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere And each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Welcome to the Oprah, the Intuitive Transformation Podcast for exceptional 21st century living. We've got a great show um, today. We've got Mark Coleman with us, and he's going to talk about mindfulness. So folks, do you know about mindfulness? Do you really? Because I've been studying mindfulness for a while and sometimes I get it sometimes I don't as I was sharing with Mark before um, the program my uh, health provider has mindfulness classes and I absolutely positively thought they were a waste of time however Mark's book from suffering to peace the true promise of mindfulness put a whole different twist and perspective on it so uh, listen in because I think that you'll enjoy it too now, the information shared on Get Over It uses intuitive and pragmatic insight to help you break through blocks and release energy that is no longer needed. Yes, we're going to help you release your BS that is holding you back, but you guys know I always ask the question, are you truly ready to? And by the way, folks, BS is belief system. Now, a bit about me for my new listeners, Intuitive Since Birth, I'm a third-generation intuitive with over three decades of experience helping people break through the blocks along their path. I'm a strategist for personal and professional transformation, revealing information which enables you to become a master builder of your life. I spent 25 successful years in corporate America as an executive sales professional, and I'm the founder of Healing Visions Ministries and the Northern California Children's Education Network, a 501c3 nonprofit. I authored Getting Your M&Ms, The Men in Money Book, and Masterful Choices, The Key to Easy, Effective Change. I provide consultations and healings regarding relationships, business, career, money, and love that heal the mind-body-spirit connection, allowing you to live your life to the absolute fullest. Now, my clients tell me that I keep it real while providing them with accurate information to assist them along their journey as a spirit living a human existence. But they also say... If you really don't want to know, don't ask Monique. My background includes a doctorate in metaphysics, Reiki master teacher, ordained minister, and clinical hypnotherapist. So whether you are stressed, depressed, or possessed, I can help. To find out more about me and the services I offer, go to my website, MoniqueChapman.com, and I invite you to like me on Facebook and follow me on Twitter and LinkedIn. When the Buddha first taught mindfulness about... 2,600 years ago in North India, he likely had no idea how his teachings, which offered a vehicle for ending suffering and finding peace, would spread around the world in the 21st century. While the way of mindfulness is being taught and developed in therapy offices, hospitals, classrooms, and boardrooms, they may differ very much from the scope of the Buddha's original intent. Mindfulness practice today is transforming tens of millions of lives all over the world. My guest today, Mark Coleman, is the author of Suffering From Suffering to Peace, Make Peace with Your Mind, and 
Awake in the Wild. He is the founder of the Mindfulness Institute and has an MA in clinical psychology. Mark has guide, guided students on five continents as a corporate consultant, counselor, meditation teacher, and wilderness guide. He lives in Northern California, and you can check him out at his website. That is markcoleman.org. Again, that website, markcoleman.org. Welcome, Mark. Thank you very much for having me. Hey, it's great to have you. Absolutely love the book um, from Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. Um, you, you know, you've been around the block, so to speak, uh, mm-hmm. regarding this. Um, I kind of looked at your, your information on uh, your website. How did you first get involved in this movement of mindfulness? Yeah, well, I grew up in England and the north, and I moved to London. I got into the punk rock scene uh, back in the early 80s and was a student and um, was also a political activist and uh, was um, also a somewhat anguished, troubled young man, was very unhappy, uh, and... um, was looking for something that would help me feel less uh, unhappy and less pain inside. And I uh, happily and surprisingly stumbled across a Buddhist uh, center in the East End of London, which at the time was a very run-down part of London. And uh, meditation at that time was also quite unusual. Um, But I found my way into a class and... Um, just found it quite transformational, this, the idea uh, when you meditate to turn the lens of attention inwards and to uh, begin looking at your own mind and heart. And, and, and what I saw, as we often see when we uh, do any contemplative practice, is we see how so much of our trouble, anguish, distress is really uh, self-generated. Mm-hmm. And so I began to study uh, my mind and the practices that helped uh, reveal that. And that became, became a lifelong uh, pursuit, both you know, passion and also eventually uh, livelihood in terms of me teaching meditation, which I've been doing the last 20 years. Mm-hmm. Um, and that journey took me uh, to study in Europe and later in t- to study with teachers in Asia and then uh, more last couple of decades in the United States. And um, so I look back fondly uh, at those times of, you know, um, coming across these practices of mindfulness and loving kindness that really can help transform the mind and heart. Okay. Well, you said you've been teaching, you know, meditation and this basic practice of mindfulness for, you know, about 20 years now. How did you get started in the first place? So many people say, I can't meditate or they don't want to take the time. How did you get started? And what words would you have to someone that may be interested in starting? Yeah. Well, you know, it's funny. I get that. Asses a lot, you know, and people and I'm sitting on a plane or somewhere and they say, what do you do? And I say, I teach meditation. And they, the first response is, oh, I couldn't possibly do that. I think too much. I worry too much. You know, I'm stressed. And I say, well, that's exactly why you would undertake <laughs> a practice because, you know, most of us are in you know, not dissimilar conditions, think a lot, distressed, anxious. And um, when I started meditating, um, you know, it was five minutes a day. I was living in a squat in a house in London and uh, 
sitting there with my white mohawk and trying to focus my attention. Of course, my mind was busy, and, and I said to my teacher after some time, I said, you know, this stuff's really hard. I can barely, you know, feel my breath, never mind follow it for more than a couple of breaths. And then my mm-hmm. mind wanders and drifts, and I think. And, uh, and he said, yeah, that's, that's, that's what happens. That's why we practice. That's why we cultivate attention, because... Um, you know, that's why we train. We, we train in, our, in the culture generally. There's not much emphasis given to looking and training the mind and the attention. There's a lot of attention given to, you know, working out the body and training the body, but not much uh, to the mind. And so I started, you know, very humbly five minutes a day. And then over time, you know, got more familiar with it. And, um, the, the two practices that I started 35 years ago were mindfulness of breathing, um, which is really one of those foundational meditation practices in mindfulness and in other traditions and um and loving kindness which is a way of cultivating kindness and, and compassion in the heart and and they've really been my bedrock practices for these few decades the past few decades and and, and now also form the basis for my teaching mm. well um we definitely need some of your uh, loving kindness out here in the world today. Uh, why don't you tell us a bit about your book, From Suffering to Peace, and what inspired you to birth it out into the world? Sure. Yeah, so um, as I mentioned, I've been teaching for a couple of decades. When I first started teaching back in the late 90s, um, the you know, mindfulness was quite uh, not so well known, and I was teaching mostly in... Uh, Buddhist meditation retreat context and very quickly after a few years I realized that most people you know with families careers you know living a normal life were not necessarily going to step foot into a Buddhist meditation retreat that it was you know in a way for a particular uh, narrow audience and I wanted to find ways to make these practices which are very beautiful transformational more accessible so I founded a company called the mindfulness Institute which was a way of translating these ancient wisdom traditions and Buddhist practices uh, into a more you know secular setting whether it's an organization or a business or healthcare setting mm-hmm. or in school and so um, began uh, teaching programs uh, that were more accessible and um, in, 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 you know, workplaces and schools and hospitals. And, and so um, that became a 15-year you know, journey of that. And so I've, I've had a very up-close um, vantage point on how from that point around the early, early 90s to now where mindfulness is now you know, it's in, a, it's in the magazines. You see, you see it. You know, in front cover of Time magazine, or all these articles in various newspapers about the, the health benefits, and you know, Michael's can do this for you and that for you. And of course, it's, because it's exploded um, in popularity in you know healthcare and business and psychology and um, and and through the because of the neuroscience, because neuroscience is very um, you know some, some very good data on on the benefits of, of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. What happens when anything explodes as big and as quickly as mindfulness has, in the same way that yoga did, um, you ne- inevitably get um, the 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 need to simplify it and to um, make it um, to scale it. You have to sort of make it very 
simple and quantifiable. And my concern was that the, the original essence of the teaching was being lost, that mindfulness is really a path of understanding mm. and insight and uh, really to help one live a fully free human life. And it was often just being reduced to, well, you know, it's good for, you know, a little bit of focus, a little bit of attention. Um, and so I, I just wanted to speak to the depth and the potential of the practice from the context of the tradition, but also s- talk about that in, in, in a way that, um, you know, anybody and everybody can understand. So mm-hmm. that's where that, the, the intention came. Well, it's interesting. You mentioned, you know, like the definition of mindfulness. And, um, you know, what I got out of what you said, that mindfulness is basically a, a clear awareness, like a knowing, but a knowing in real time. And to me, that correlates with in- intuition, because in order to truly be effective and use your intuition effectively, it's about being aware and it's about being present and being able to look deeper at a situation and then look around the corner, so to speak. And I think that um, mindfulness um, does that also. Now, you talk about inner peace and um, self-awareness and all of that. How do we get to the point where we can have that inner peace without being so smug about it? Because so many people in this genre today are so smug about what they do. And how can we be self-aware without having judgment on others? I know you have a chapter in your book where you talk about um, the judging mind, and we'll cover that in a moment. But how do we get there? How to develop the peace without the smugness? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, you know, I think I think what really helps with that, my experience in in doing any you know authentic spiritual work is that um, ideally um, what that work does is bring us into a very uh, intimate relationship with ourselves and our humanity and. As your listeners will know, anybody who's tried to meditate or do any kind of spiritual practice or training will know that it's not easy and Mm -hmm. that cultivating mindfulness and self-awareness, what that does is actually, you know, really just reveal uh, our nature, but it also reveals our habits and our pain and our struggles and our suffering and our foibles and our vulnerabilities. And so for me, the path of, uh, of awareness and mindfulness um, brings us closer to, uh, you know, to, the, to the, the innate vulnerability of being a human being so, mm-hmm. and undercuts the hubris. So, for example, um, you know, of course, you know, we can get inflated doing anything and we can get certainly inflated around our meditation practice or spiritual practice or think we're mm-hmm. doing something different or better or special. Um, but actually what we're doing is we're simply learning to pay attention and meet our humanness with kindness, with awareness, with sensitivity. And um, the humility that arises, that's a really healthy part of that sort of counterforce to any kind of hubris or superiority is the fact that um, you know, if you look, you know, anybody who meditates and looks at their own mind will see that mind is a wild, crazy place. Or as mm-hmm. one wrote a 
one writer put it, um, my, my mind is a dangerous neighborhood. I try not to go there alone. Mm-hmm. So if we're, um, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, we'll see, you know, that we're human and, you know, the, with, with a mind and a body and we're subject to all kinds of vulnerabilities like loss and change and aging. And, and so for me, all of that awareness and sensitivity creates a sense of humility. Mm-hmm. creates a sense of um, knowing and sensing our vulnerability, which undercuts any kind of hubris or superiority, if that makes sense. It makes sense. When did we, or how did we get to the point where we, as a society, felt that it was okay not to be human, not to show the human foibles and, you know, not to be perfect? You know, we, I, I was raised in a household where, you know, um, you had to be perfect and everything had to be just right. And that led to some very interesting um, conversations growing up and interactions. Right. But as a society, right. you know, there are so many people that I work with on a daily basis. They're struggling with the idea they have to be perfect according to some external standard as opposed to being perfectly who they are. Right. Yeah. Well, you know, there's a lot of views and shoulds and ideas, both, you know, I think from our culture, from the media, from religion, from, you know, all kinds of places that, you know, that, you know, have strong opinions about what it means to be a parent or what it means to be a successful person or, and, um, you know, again, part of what we're doing with mindfulness, I explore in the book, like it's a chapter on exploring unconscious bias, is we're starting to look at our conditioning and seeing how if we're not cultivating that kind of self-awareness, we're just acting out the conditioning, the cultural programming, um, often to our detriment or the detriment of others. And mm-hmm. so we can start to, be, to, you know, to pay attention to, you know, the stories that we're running, the, you know, the, the unconscious programming, and, um, you know, be able to have a, some sense of choicefulness about mm-hmm. it rather okay. than just blindly acting it out. Okay. Well, folks, we're speaking with Mark Coleman. He's the author of From Suffering to Peace, The True Promise of Mindfulness. It's an excellent book. It's a keeper on my shelf. And guys, you know I don't say that very often, but this book, you can open it to any page and just read what's there and it's going to speak to you because Mark covers um, so much. And it's not woo-woo and it's not so scientific-y, technical that you don't get it. It's written in a very conversational way, in a way that you can truly... um, embrace the words and embrace the energy of what he is writing and check him out on his website and that is markcoleman.org again that's markcoleman.org mark you got two chapters i'd really like to um, focus on on and i'm going to put them back to back and you can address them however you want the first one is um meeting aging with kind awareness and i'm an old lady and i don't know if i've met that with kind awareness but i'm here and the second one um which really caught my attention is called Embracing Death's Invitation. So talk to us about those two concepts. Yeah, well, you know, as, as you know, well, one, we're all aging, 
some of us don't think we're aging, but of course we are. And, mm-hmm. you know, aging, as we know, is not easy on anybody. Right? The, 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 the health can decline, energy declines, body changes. Um, you know, there's a whole host of challenging things that come with aging. And, and the, the older we get, the, the more challenges there can be. Mm-hmm. And so, like with anything in life, you know, what the, one of the thrusts of the book is um, both not just becoming aware of experience, but learning how to meet it with kindness or with sensitivity or with love because so much of experience and so much of life is hard. And there's lots of wonderful, beautiful things about this world and living, and there are many hard things like getting sick, like having chronic pain, like losing loved ones, like um, feeling our body being less agile, less uh, energetic, um, you know, seeing the lines across our face, our hair gray, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so, so the practice is one not just of bringing awareness to experience, but, but holding it with kindness because really the, 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 the only appropriate response to these, these many layers of the vulnerability of being human is to meet it with compassion, to meet it with kindness, because that, that acts, that, the attitude, and I talk a lot in the book about attitude, because how we meet experience really determines whether that experience becomes suffering or not. You know, I, I, as I quote this oft-used um, uh, equation, suffering equals pain times resistance. Pain is inevitable, aging is inevitable, the suffering around it depends on how attached we are to looking young, how attached we are to our body being a certain way when we were, you know, decades younger, mm-hmm. and, and, and how much we can soften and yield and surrender and allow and accept the truth of our experience, whether it's the chronic pain we might have, the aging body, the change in our circumstances, and so... So with mindfulness, what we're learning to do is to see how we unnecessarily create additional suffering by resisting, judging, rejecting ourselves and our experience, including how we're aging. Mm. And um, what about the concept of, you know, kind of like staring death in the face and, you know, um, it's going to happen whether you're, you know, a newborn and you exit quickly or you're 110 um, and you've been here for a while, how do we make peace with that? Because as a society, we're programmed to live, live, live. I mean, we go to the doctors and there's, you know, all the right. um, medicines that they give you that are actually killing you folks. But anyway, there's always medicine that they're giving you to extend your life. And then you go to a nursing home and you see a bunch of bodies, living bodies, but the, the, there's no spark. It's gone, but we're still living and or we're still breathing, let me put it that way, because I don't think that's living. So how do we accept the idea that death will come and not be so afraid of it? Right. Yeah. You know, and of course, as a human being, this is one of the hardest, most challenging parts of of living is, you know, knowing, we all know, we're one of the few species that, that's aware of our mortality. We know that the, 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 the inevitability is certain, the timing is uncertain, and so we live with a certain kind of vulnerability, a certain kind mm-hmm. of insecurity. 
And what, where mindfulness can be effective, you know, what I find interesting about the explosion of mindfulness is it's, you know, build this panacea <clears throat> for life and our problems. And actually, what mindfulness really is, is it's a tool for helping us turn towards and actually meet the truth of our experience. And we know one of those truths is that we age and we get sick and we die at some point. It happens to everybody. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. And if we are busy running, avoiding, hating, resisting that, guess what? We're gonna, when that time comes, whether it's ourselves or a loved one, we're going to suffer more because we haven't really prepared. We've been denying and running and resisting. And, uh, you know, mindfulness practice, awareness practice teaches us to train to meet whatever's here with as much understanding, kindness as we can bring. And, of course, Sometimes, you know, what we're being aware of is our fear or what we're aware of is our resistance or uh, our denial. And that, so that awareness can then help illuminate, okay, so here I am, I'm busy trying to, pretending that that's not going to happen. Well, let me inquire as to how that's going to serve me because we know that denial doesn't serve. This is a great line that I quote in the book. It says, by running away from suffering, we run towards it. By running away from suffering, we run towards it. So, you know, nobody wants to die. Nobody wants to get old or, or sick. By running away from that reality, we run towards it in that we're not preparing ourselves well for that eventuality. Whereas turning towards it with awareness, with kindness, it actually allows us to not be so surprised or so angry or so uh, unprepared. Mm -hmm. uh, often meditation in the, in the Buddhist tradition is considered a preparation for death, a preparation for the ultimate unknown. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, we can develop that skill um, if by training, by turning our attention in that way. Not easy, but easier and less suffering than running away. Okay. Okay. You know, while you were talking, I was just thinking like we are born and most of us don't have a memory of where we were before we were actually born into this incarnation. And when we leave, we might go back to wherever the heck that was or even someplace better. So I guess in the big scheme of things, it's something not to be afraid of, just like it's part of, you know, coming in and we stay for a while and then we go out and, and go on to whatever's next. And I guess if we can accept that, it might make it a little bit easier. Um, in your book, you right. talk about um, 
the world is like an illusion, and I'm paraphrasing here, and that our experiences color our belief systems. And you say to be very careful of your thoughts. And you didn't say words, you said thoughts. Now, of course, a thought can lead to a spoken word. But why? Why do we need to be so careful of those thoughts? Well, you know, um, the the reason is because our thoughts, you know, the, we, 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 we live and perceive the world through our mind and through our thoughts. Mm-hmm. And if we're not mindful of what we're thinking, what we're perceiving, our views, our assumptions, our biases, our projections, um, you know, we live in the world of a story that we've created that's not necessarily how things actually are. And so, um, you know, for example, um, you know, a very simple example, you, you're, you're going into a stepping, you're going up into a building and someone's walking in front of you and they don't see you, so they just walk through the door and the door slams in your face. They didn't pause to hold it open for you because they didn't see you. The story, and, and the story we can make up about that is, oh, nobody sees me. How come I'm so invisible? That person mustn't like me. I must have done something wrong. Right? So mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a simple example of how we create a lot of stories and narratives and ideas based on experience that isn't necessarily and quite often not accurate, right? the way we project onto mm-hmm. people, etc. Mm-hmm. And if we're not aware of those thoughts, then we're just living and believing and acting out that belief. We were strengthening this view, oh, nobody sees me, nobody likes me, I'm always ignored. Whereas actually what the truth is that that person was just busy and they didn't see you and they were just on their way to work and you happened to be you know, 10 feet behind them. Mm-hmm. And so we do that moment by moment, particularly in relationships. The amount of stories we create about our partners or about our parents or children or our bosses or people who don't like us. And, you know, our, our thoughts are powerful. They carry a lot of weight. And when, we, uh, when we're not tracking them, you know, they can cause a lot, a lot of pain. And so with mindfulness, we can bring some self-awareness to that and see stories, ideas. And, and of course, as you mentioned earlier, one of the things that I focus on a lot in my teaching is, and that was the theme of my last book, Make Peace With Your Mind, is bringing mindfulness to your judging, critical, self-hating thoughts, which are Mm. usually also very powerful, Mm -hmm. usually inaccurate, Mm -hmm. and um, certainly mostly not helpful. But if we're not aware of them, they just have a lot of power and they keep chirping on and we believe the stories that we're not lovable, we're not likable, we're stupid or unworthy, and those, you know, those, those kind of thoughts create depression, they create sadness, they create you know, really difficult states of mind and heart. So with awareness, we can see them, mm-hmm. look at them, inquire into them, and see that they're not necessarily true, that they you know, are there for certain reasons, probably because of our conditioning, the stories that you know, we were told that we believed as a child, for example, and we, we are able to actually unhook from them in certain ways. So that, in, in that way, mindfulness becomes very freeing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Or has that potential anyway? 
Okay. Um, talk to us about the judging mind and the comparing mind because a lot of people judge and everybody compares themselves or something to something else. So talk to us about that and how we can perhaps step away from that energy. Yes. So the judging mind is, a, as I was saying, is a powerful force and um, you know, most people I ask uh, when I'm teaching a course, you know, you know, I make a joke actually, is, 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 is there anybody here who doesn't beat themselves up? And rarely, a hand, rarely do I find people who are actually free from this habit. You know, some people are a little more kinder to themselves than others, but generally speaking, I find that this is one of the strongest sources of self-created suffering, mm-hmm. where people, you know, unnecessarily judge themselves. They, um, they compare themselves negatively to others. Um, believe the stories that they're telling themselves that they're unlovable or they're not smart. You know, usually the, the main mantra that I is um, the mantra of not enough. I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I'm not cute enough. I'm not young enough. I'm not fit enough. I'm not popular enough. Whatever the story is, we, we usually can find a story um, that the judge is telling us, that our inner critic is telling us that we're not enough in some way. Mm-hmm. And when we believe that, of course, we feel miserable because who, who, you know, uh, um, taking that story in of not being good enough and that inevitably makes you feel bad, sad, um, etc. And um, what's true is that it's just a point of view. And this is one of the things that I try and train my students is to understand the inner critic is just a perspective, a point of view. You know, for example, the common example, maybe you're getting a performance review at work. Your boss has 19 things positively to say about you, one negative thing, mm-hmm. you go away from that meeting, what do we remember? We oh, remember negative. that one negative thing because mm-hmm. we have neg- inbuilt ne- negativity bias. The, um, the critic highlights and focuses uh, very, um, you know, very negatively on the, on, the, on the fault, the problem, deficiency, and then believes that story. And if we believe that story, it's a very distorted perspective. And so with mindfulness, we, we can get to see, be mindful of these thoughts, these, these thinking processes, um, and learn to either see them, recognize them, unhook from them, inquire into them, see that they're not true, see that they're a perspective and a point of view, and let them go. Okay. And that leads me, we talking about letting go, that leads me to chapter 17 in your book, which I paid a lot of attention to, Freedom from Attachment. First of all, why do we attach and what can we do about it? And how do we let go? <clears throat> yeah, well, you know, we, part of our human nature is, yes, we get attached to things and we get attached to all kinds of things. Um, we get attached to, you know, going on a early conversation, we get attached to our views. You look at the world, you know, the world is, you know, loggerheads with each other because we're attached to certain views, whatever side of the political or religious spectrum you're on. Mm-hmm. Um, we get attached to pleasure, right? We all like to feel pleasure and we don't like to feel pain. So we get very attached to pleasurable experiences, which is very natural, very human, but causes a lot of suffering. For example, you know, we get attached to a pleasurable experience, whether it's a sunset 
or the relationship being a certain way or a certain kind of food or a drink or whatever. Um, and if we're driven by that attachment, usually that, force, that you know, creates in us a habit of holding on, of demanding, of, um, you, know, you know, in the case of food, often it creates um, eating challenges and addictions, mm-hmm. with, you know, whether it's physical, you know, food, drink, sex, you know, it can create all kinds of very powerful um, you know, addictions and mm-hmm. compulsions, which cause you know, us and others a lot of suffering. So, um, so as I say, it's a very natural phenomenon we all experience. Uh, um, attachment, you know, attachment to others, attachment to pleasure. And uh, again, the, the, what a mindfulness practice can help us do is pay attention to, okay, so what happens when I feel it, when I when I have attachment, what happens when I demand that experience be a certain way? What what happens? Well, I get tunnel vision. I get very focused on my needs, my wants. I can often ignore the needs of others because I'm so attached to getting what I want. I'm unable to take in the needs of others, and so we just set in motion a whole chain of um, a necessary painful experience. And when we see this again with mindfulness, it's a non-judgment mental attention when we see the pain of that we're much more likely to to let it go to unhook mm-hmm. in a certain way mm-hmm. so that's the power of the practice it doesn't happen overnight it's not easy none of this stuff is easy it takes time it takes um you know patience it takes training but mm-hmm. when we see oh when i let go i actually feel a greater sense of well-being i'm much more likely in the near future to let go uh, when it happens again because I see the futility of trying to hold on. I see the pain of trying to hold on. And um, it's just a support for, for letting go, for release, which is a central part of uh, most wisdom traditions. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. In your book, you talk about something that really caught my attention, and that was dissatisfaction and its causes, and you share a story there. But I want to kind of add my story to this. Um, not too long ago, I gave my husband a 70th birthday party at a very swanky restaurant. cost a crap load of money, but he was worth it. And we arrived, and we had a private room. And when we arrived, the room was absolutely positively dirty. It was set up beautifully. Okay, but you could look at the counters along the um, windows and see that it had like a half inch of dust on it. There was food still on the floor from the last uh, people that were there and having their wonderful experience. And the room smelled like old sweat socks. And I was extremely dissatisfied, so much to the point I went off on everybody. And then my sister was calming me or trying to calm me down, I should say, because she said, they'll spit in your food or they'll drop your food on the floor and you'll get crappy food. I finally just, like, I just had to shut up because if not, things wouldn't have been pretty for anybody. But I was extremely dissatisfied and I put on the game face and, you know, made it a pleasant evening. But even to this moment, and this was months ago, I'm still dissatisfied. So how do you get past the <clears throat> dissatisfaction? <clears throat> yeah. Yeah, well, sorry to hear about that experience. It sounds like 
not what you expected. And, and of course, this is partly where dissatisfaction arises. We have expectations, you know, natural expectations. You're paying money for a venue, and, you know, and you want it to be a certain standard. And again, all these things are very natural. Mm-hmm. Um, and to the extent that we are expecting life, in this case, the venue, to conform to our expectations or demands or attachments, then to the extent it doesn't meet those, we might experience some stress, anguish, reactivity, in which mm-hmm. case you, you did. Mm-hmm. Um, again, quite natural and human. Um, and the, again, this is where the, the mindfulness practice is really a wisdom practice. It's helping us um, both you know, pay attention to our, our um, in this case, desires for you know, the event to go a certain way, Mm-hmm. And we also know and trust that life may may happily conform to your needs, and it may not. I mean, so often, right? So often, we have you know, this is a perfect example. You have a desire to have a beautiful experience for your husband, mm-hmm. and then life happens, right? You know, maybe you know, I'll I'll I lead a lot of my meditation nature retreats, meditation retreats in nature. Mm-hmm. And of course, with those, you know, I take people out to these beautiful places and that there's an expectation that we will have a lovely time. And, um, you know, like I was teaching a group last couple weeks ago and we were this, under these gorgeous trees, beautiful day. And the neighbor decided to have a helicopter training camp oh. um, in, <laughs> you know, on the hill above our meditation spot. So mm-hmm. you can imagine, you know, it didn't quite conform to my idea of a nice mellow meditation day because we were listening to helicopters, you know, flying and maneuvering all day, very loud, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. somewhat unpleasant, somewhat annoying. And, you know, I've learned from my practice and, 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 and from what I teach that that's life. Like you set up these, these, these things, whether it's a birthday party or meditation retreat or you know, a presentation at work, and mm-hmm. and then it then life happens. And the 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 the, the key teaching with mindfulness practice, it's not about whether the event goes perfectly or not, or whether the event goes perfectly or imperfectly or mixed. The 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 suffering is in how we relate to it. So I could have been miserable with the helicopters for for ruining my day or ruining my students' day, mm-hmm. or I could just go well life happens and it's not what I want. It's not what I choose, but here it is. How do I find a way to basically surrender to it or go with the flow? You know, of course, mm-hmm. if there's something you can do, like in your case, you know, you talk to the, the staff or the manager and you see, you know, you know, let's, let's do what we can to clean this up and make amends. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like in my situation, there was nothing I could do. <laughs> right. were doing it is what it is. And so, so the stuff might, Suffering is in that moment that is really voluntary. I can moan and complain, feel self-pity and angry. I can just go, okay, now we're going to be mindful of sound. Now we're going to work with seeing our attachments to peaceful, quiet nature setting. And, and, and that becomes a great tool for growth okay. rather than a problem that we wish was different. Okay. And so you just adjust. Yeah, you just adjust to, to what is there. Okay, so um, talk to and, and at the same time... You, and, you're adjusting, but you're also acknowledging that you're still upset or sad or frustrated. It's not like that all goes out the window. You right. can still feel all that. 
I was still wishing it was a nice, calm, quiet day for my students because that's much preferable. And I'm okay with it not being like that because I know that's not actually in my control. Exactly. Okay. Well, I kind of did that. I, you know, put on game face and we had a great time, but I've still got energy on that restaurant, boy, let me tell you. But talk to us about um, the concept of sympathetic joy and how we can develop it. Oops. Sympathetic joy is one of those beautiful qualities that I've learned uh, from my uh, Buddhist training. And it's a quality of really helping us uh, shift from envy or jealousy or negative comparing when other people are feeling a lot of happiness or success and instead being able to celebrate their success or joy or good fortune. Um, and so the, the, the practice of the meditation is really a reflection on, so you call someone to mind, someone who's happy, doing well, successful in their work or their personal life, and you simply uh, let yourself feel their happiness and reflect and repeat the phrases, wishes, you know, that, um, may your happiness and success continue, may your joy flourish, I'm happy for your happiness. So you're basically acknowledging someone's happiness and in, in a way celebrating it. And of course that sounds nice and easy to do, but like many practices, they sound easy, but actually the reason why it's a practice, it's a training, is because um, we often feel the opposite of that. We feel jealous, we feel envious, we feel like, oh, how can they getting everything and I'm not getting anything. And so it's a way of trying to shift the, that, that normal reactive state into something more generous and benevolent. And the logic behind this um, is a phrase that I quote from the Dalai Lama who said, um, if you want to, uh, this, this quality of uh, appreciative joy, appreciating the happiness of others, improves your chances of happiness by 7 billion to 1 in that there are many people we know, strangers, loved ones, who are, you know, always, people are always going through you know, some period of joy, happiness, success, good fortune. Okay. And so the more that we can access that quality, the more that we actually also feel the joy and happiness with them. Okay. So um, when we go to markholman.org, what are we going to find there? So at markholman.org, you will find information about me and my books. I lead a lot of uh, meditation retreats and nature-based uh, meditation retreats all over, um, mostly North America. And I also run mindfulness teacher trainings where I train teachers how to teach these beautiful practices. I lead meditation and nature teacher trainings where I train people how to uh, guide my nature-based meditation work and all kinds of other things, books, poetry, and other resources. So okay. check it out. Okay, please do. And folks, he's um, actually accepting right now applications um, to the Awaken in the Wild Meditation in Nature teacher training. So if what Mark has um, 
spoken about today speaks to you and you want to delve in further and perhaps become a teacher, definitely check that out. And you can find that information on his um, website. And again, that is markcoleman.org. Mark, thanks so much for being with uh, me today. I really appreciate you and what you've offered to myself and to the audience. What pearl of wisdom would you like to leave the audience with today? Yeah, so I would like to leave people with the understanding that awareness is always accessible. It's the nature of our mind. And we can cultivate this quality of mindfulness attention simply by tuning and noticing and being present to what's happening. And we can also cultivate it through training and practice as a way to find peace in whatever circumstance we're feeling. Okay, thank you. Very well said. Well, thank you to Mark and thank you to audience for being with me tonight as we collectively get over it and um, go from uh, suffering to peace. The divine in me honors the divine in you. And I um, truly appreciate your time and attention. And folks, when you're ready to raise your vibration, um, give me a call. The intuitive consultations that I offer, 30 minutes or longer, are offered at a 10% discount if you mention the podcast. Love yourself enough to make an investment in yourself. Make that call, 888-240-6057. And remember, the most important choice that you can make is what you choose to make important. Consider making the masterful choice of being mindful. Abundant blessings, light and love to all. Namaste.